Welcome to the Magic and Alchemy podcast, where we talk about witchcraft, setting intentions, forgotten folklore, and mythology. Created by Tamed Wild, magicandalchemy.com is a collection of stories, rituals, and articles crafted by a variety of creators and writers, including myself, Kristen Lisenby, and my co-host, Kate Ballou. Hello, and welcome back to the Magic and Alchemy podcast. I'm Kristen Lisenby. And I'm Kate Ballou. Today, we have the missing witches here with us, Amy and Risa. Amy Torek and Risa Dickens are the witches, authors, and podcasters behind the Missing Witches Project. Living in woods north of Montreal, they go looking through archives of humanity for the historical and contemporary witches whose voices are missing from our society's dominant discourse. Amy and Risa met backstage at a ukulele showcase, and together they have made music, formed covens, created a podcast, and written a book, Missing Witches, Recovering True Histories of Feminist Magic. It's amazing. Their second book is due out in spring 2023, and this is the first part of a series of two episodes, so you can find us on the Missing Witches podcast in a few weeks. Hi, Risa and Amy, the Missing Witches. We're so grateful to be here together today. Um, as Amanda Yates Garcia wrote in the foreword to your book, A Witch Recognizes Another Witch, which, thank goddess, that's true. Um, before we begin, can you share your big three in astrology with our listeners? We're so excited to be here. We uh, thanks Yay. for having us. It's really fun. <laughs> it's so it's so lovely. Like last year, we were sort of dream weaving, dream scheming, and part of what we kind of set out for us was that we wanted to weave this web of other witches, like spend more time with each mm-hmm. other in this strange podcast space, weave our audiences together, really commit to what is this 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 uprising this resurgence this magical community this alliance for peace and reenchantment you know really to fuse Mm -hmm. to each other to knit to each Mm -hmm. other for for hopefulness and that feels so much more important now when fucking fascists are at war you know let's commit Mm -hmm. to each other and to beauty and magic so that's that's my excited i'm excited to be here the witch wide web (laughs) yeah welcome we like spoke it into existence (laughs) we like talked about the book and then you both appeared it's like magic (laughs) it's truly magic It is. It perpetually is. Um, I'm I'm a Cancer Scorpio rising Virgo moon. I I'm mm-hmm. I'm really digging into that. My mom told me the wrong time of, of birth for years and years, and I was always confused. Are there I, three Scorpio risings in this room? Then <laughs> sounds like it. And, wow. a, and, a, and a mystery rising, a perpetual mystery rising. Could be four. <laughs> Uh yeah, but I don't know. <laughs> I uh, I'm I'm a Virgo. I know that for sure. The other mm. um, circumstances of my birth have been lost to time. Mm. But uh, for those of your listeners who are in the same predicament that I am, I 
have focused my astrology in other ways. I'm very connected to the phases of the moon, which I think mm. counts. And we've also been mm. um, talking with so many astrologers who do the charts of historical events and put them into a kind of uh, contemporary context. So for mm. those of you who are like me and are, were born under mysterious circumstances, you can still you can still access a lot of astrology. I do want to shout out, is it Molten Hot? Oh, I, I should have written it down. Um, someone who listens to your podcast uh, and was reading our book posted about it. Molten Hot Cosmic Lava. You're out there somewhere. You know who you are. Oh, yeah. yeah they got <laughs> um, the book. They tagged us yeah. all. They connected us all together. Yeah, it was so, so beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. In <laughs> fact, I'm going to go in and I'm going to get it because they deserve it. They it's deserve true. the shout out. Um, because you know, we're, we're all these like varying strands on the, on the web of witches and some of our strands intersect and some of them don't until a spider comes along and (laughs) makes a little connection for us. So I want to thank Molten Hot Cosmic Witch. Thank you, Molten Hot Cosmic Witch. Thank you. (laughs) I was, I was sitting right here and I saw it and then I had the book and I was showing Cody and I was like new friends <laughs> <laughs> new witch friends so yeah I'm very happy to be here um with new witch friends mm-hmm. and hopefully make some more new witch friends with your listeners out there They're the absolutely <laughs> so can you guys speak a little bit about the missing witches project um kind of share with our listeners, you know, about the book, but also maybe the podcast as well. Yeah, sure. I'll start. Um, what a strange project that has be- <laughs> has become like the great love of our lives. Mm-hmm. Um, shout out to our partners and kid, but <laughs> and Bijou the dog, the other great loves of our lives. But uh, mm-hmm. but no, this project, I mean, Amy and I as you said in the bio, uh, you know, we met playing music and we met, you know, at a, at a ukulele bizarro showcase in a green room and we were both doing weird shit. And we, we had also, I I don't think this makes it in the bio anymore, but we had both been running these really strange interdisciplinary arts showcases for years at the same time in the same, like relatively small city, and hadn't hadn't overlapped but when we met we were like we just had so many layers in common of this weird uh you know community making project making art event making art where you're like you know this this opera crew should sing with this belly dance (laughs) number whatever (laughs) while I scream yell over or whatever it was we were doing those are (laughs) those are actual shows but probably not all at once but um yeah, we, future projects. <laughs> yeah, we we both were so invested in this idea of like the 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 magic that can happen when you bring um, artists together in a moment, and then we met in a space in a green room that's like dedicated to, I don't know, being behind the scenes, but also being creative. So we never had that weirdness that I sometimes have with other friends of like trying to cross over from like chit-chatting at a bar to like making art together where it's really hard to cross that boundary we started on the other side of the boundary if you know what I mean Mm. Mm. Amy pointed that out one time when we were talking and I've thought about it so much since then that that was really core to this project um 
And then, yeah, so I, I had an idea about Missing Witches and Amy and I were already practicing by that point. And we had both been been practicing, you know, for our whole lives in weird ways, but we were practicing together for quite a while when sort of the idea of the podcast came about. And so we'd already been passing back and forth, like trying to find true histories, uh, true histories of, of magical practitioners, real stories of women. We were we were like, who are the women that do this? And who are the women of color that have done this? And where are those stories? Because you start to look into the history of Wicca because that's like what you find at first. And it's all like Gerald Gardner or these other men who supposedly <laughs> gave birth to magic. And you're like, mm-hmm. but what the fuck? Like, <laughs> I thought this was like, this was like <laughs> a <fact>. suspicious. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what is this, you know? Um, and so we were already passing back and forth, you know, going down Wikipedia tunnels and passing back and forth women we were finding. So the, the idea came about really naturally to start to investigate those stories and write those stories. And then, um, Amy was really excited about finding contemporary practitioners and interviewing them. And that became really core to what we do. And mm. so, yeah, we've been doing that for a couple of years. And then um, <laughs> Amy likes to say we tricked ourselves into writing a book. Because, <laughs> because we I think that's a good way to do it. Yeah, <laughs> we've done all this writing and research and we had an audience. And then we we were like, hey, I think this could be a book. And then it turned out um, somebody was listening when we said that out loud and was like, hello, we are looking for that book. <laughs> That's amazing. It's, amazing. <laughs> it is. it's a beautiful book. Where do you two, yeah, I'm just so curious, where do you two derive inspiration for this work? Like, and how do you stay grounded and focus like on the message you're trying to convey? I think somebody asked Risa once, like, aren't aren't you worried you're going to run out of witches to (laughs) talk about? And I think all four of us are laughing at that right now in this moment, because um, when you start looking for witches, you find them everywhere. And every time you find a witch, you find four more witches that are associated with that witch. Um, Just to sort of like come back to what Risa was saying, you know, our first episode was about Pixie Coleman Smith. And we hadn't heard of Pixie Coleman Smith. You know, we have formal educations, you know, and um, she was surrounded by people like, you know, Crowley and um, William Butler Yeats and these men that we had heard of. We had heard of a lot. We knew a lot about these men. Mm -hmm. And then there were these women who we were like, why are they being left out of the story? Why are they being left out of the story? Mm-hmm. Um, so that that really is the, uh, to answer your second question, that, that's where we find the inspiration mm-hmm. is like, we've said that it, it's almost speculative fiction, what we do. It's like, what would the world look like if these voices hadn't been silenced? What would our society look like if marginalized people were allowed to have a role in dominant discourse? What would the world even look like? So that's a question that we can just continue to answer answer forever. You know, there's not really like mm-hmm. a mathematical <laughs> formula that we can come to an end and say, mm-hmm. all right, the work is done, you know? So, I mean, we're <laughs> constantly, constantly being inspired and re-inspired every time we talk to anyone, anytime we read anyone's work. I think, Risa, you'll agree, like, inspiration is not 
ever something that we're lacking time, energy, you know, motivation. Mm-hmm. Sure. But inspiration mm-hmm. is, is literally around every corner. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I, lot for the intro for the, for the last book, for the book you're talking about, the book that exists in the world, we just submitted the draft for the next book. Um, but for the, for the intro for that one, we sort of wrote about how the word missing in French has this other connotation where it's like we say tu me manque in, and it means like you're missing from me mm-hmm. when we say like we don't say like I've been missing you we say you're missing from me and it has this sense that you're like a piece of myself that I that I lack um, and so missing which is for us really comes from that sense of missing and this time when I was writing pieces for the new introduction, I really realized like, and you said it in the introduction, I was like, yeah, exactly. But I don't think anyone's ever said it that way before, that we are the missing witches. Like we we are motivated by our sense that we are missing something. Like mm. We are, we, we come from a place of longing. So it's not that we're saying all of these people are witches. Some of them wouldn't have identified that way, wouldn't have liked it but they're magical practitioners who belong in the pantheon of, of the knowledge that I've been missing as a witch, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense. And that is, I love, Oh, sorry. No, sorry. I was like, if that makes sense, go ahead and talk. Now I'm going to talk some more. (laughs) I I think it's so beautiful. Like that sort of like offering of the word to people who might not have claimed it. Like my grandma listens to this podcast and she's an old Polish retired librarian. She lives in Southwest Michigan. Hi, Joan. I miss you. But she, uh, she was like, I don't know to be jealous of you or so proud of you because I could have never used this word. Um, and now I want to, you know, and so it's, it's that sort of language that I, yeah, when I was reading the intro to the book, I was like, yes, like that extension beyond. And I mean, yes, Joan. Yes, we love you, Joan. Um, but I mean, that's, that's the, the thrust of the project is like, we have a choice when we see these people who have done amazing things that we think maybe we're not capable of to be, you know, proud or jealous. And Mm -hmm. um, if we're a little bit of both, maybe that can motivate us into our own action. But that's why we, we, there's a lot of conversation around goddesses and deities and we're behind that, you know, but at the same Mm -hmm. time, we really wanted to focus on real people who we can look to and say, like, you know, Genesis Peorage did that, or, you know, Maria Sabina did that, mm-hmm. or Zora Neale Hurston did this, or Audre Lorde did that. And to put ourselves into that framework of, of a real history, not like, you know, the woo-woo paintbrush that comes and slaps everything with glitter, and that's fine, we also love glitter, but um, there, <laughs> there is a real history here, and we contemporary practitioners um, can put ourselves into that real framework. We can stop being jealous and start being proud. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And like, I was just thinking about like how studying literature in college, like I never would have attributed like magicalness to like Zora Neale Hurston even though I always felt that and so that sort of like um breaking open of like the academic too is so special I think feel so lucky to do certainly I mean 
once again, like that's kind of what we're here to do. We are academics, you know, we're researchers. We love to intellectualize as much as the next guy, but we also are clawing back the place of imagination and fiction um, and fantasy um, back and, and trying to put it on par with the intellectualism of our of our contemporary society, you know, like these once again are are knowledges that have been demeaned, occulted, you know, is is the word mm-hmm. that we use, you know, unknown and this and that. And, and we believe mm-hmm. that this is a direct result of patriarchal capitalism. You know, to put really? it bluntly, um these these magics are a threat to patriarchal capitalism. And so when we witches do magic, we are also doing resistance work. Mm. And that's something that became very clear. I mean, I think we knew that, but when we became dedicated to invest, to trying to investigate witch hunts uh, internationally, like outside of the context of the European witch hunt, motivated by, you know, Sylvia Federici's work, understanding the, the sort of capitalist in, impetus behind the witch hunts in in Mm. europe but then to look at that in a in a history of of colonization and be like this is the same shit sometimes with different language but this is the same shit in you know colonial colombia or you know in in brazil or you know in the philippines india Uh, all throughout the continent of africa i mean we could list every country in the world and and Every place has a version of it that's their own. So there's no point sort of painting it all with a broad brush, but you do see it as a as a tool of colonization and capitalism over and over and over again to like point at people, generally women, generally older women, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, and to call them witch, you know, and to use that way of dividing genders and dividing people and to sort of make an enemy and to make an enemy of you know, traditional oral knowledge. Mm-hmm. And fuck that. <laughs> Burn it all down. Exactly. <laughs> so obviously you guys are the missing witches and we're here talking about witchcraft and witches. So what was it like the first time you called yourself a witch? Like, was like was there a coming out of the broom closet moment? Um, I'm always so curious, people's stories. Yeah, for me, I mean, I, I've said this a thousand times, but I think it bears repeating 10,000 times. So I, I'll say it again and again <laughs> and again, is that um, I don't remember not thinking I was a witch. You know, I was like drawn to the first book I remember was like a stick figure, witch, you know, book. Um, And the reason that we've sort of come up with for that, like, you know, girl, child, born witch is that, um, you know, being being raised as a girl and you sort of are allowed one of two possibilities. You're either the princess or the witch. And I had no interest in being the princess ever. And therefore, by process of elimination, um, I was the witch. And, mm-hmm. you know, I have people that I went to high school with that are like, I'm not the least bit surprised that this is what you're doing. Like, you've always been, you know, the OG witch. And like, 
You know, people would come to me if like something weird happened and they'd be like, I don't know, you know, my roommate put a bay leaf under my pillow. It's like, should I be concerned about this? So I was always kind of the 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 mystic. Um, I wish I had some advice for people who are trying to reclaim the word themselves, because to me, it was like being born with hands or a tongue. Um, I I was Mm -hmm. just sort of, I feel anyway, like I was just born with the word. Mm -hmm. Yeah, similar, similar but different. I mean, we're lucky in a way, like we we kind of, I'm not speaking for myself, but I grew up in a, you know, a, from like a small on, town in Ontario, but academic, um, you know, anarchist parents. Um, it's more complicated than that, but those were influences that like, and then we moved to LA and like, we were like, academics in LA, you know, working. And I I was just always sort of detached moving, but never in a place that was like particularly hardcore Christian. My parents are like social justice Christians. And I had to, I had to break from that too, because the, you know, as soon as I learned about the history of Christianity, I didn't, that wasn't something that that could be part of my life, but, Mm -hmm. but I never felt this, this, I didn't grow up in a version of the church that was like really freaked out about the devil or that was like, you know, there was no one in my life that was like, witches are bad. Like, you know, it was all (laughs) like theater games and like, (laughs) so I don't, I don't have that. Like, um, I just never had that, that thing that so many people tell us is a real struggle for them. And now Amy and I, like, we live in these, like, strange um, houses in the woods, you know, both of us just sort of perpetually resisting the forest's desire to take back our houses. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) You know, we we live, like, you know, in these, like, really dense networks with our coven uh, all around the world and and with our sort of like social media witch world. But aside from that, we're like pretty solitary. So we can practice however the fuck we want. We don't live in a place with religious persecution. You know, we don't, we live in Canada. We don't live in a fascist country. So the idea of like having to, having fear around the word is something that like we go looking for what that experience is like in order to tell that story and to understand what it means. Um, that's like, a, I mean, that's sort of a side answer. I, I, I know when I started doing witch shit, you know, like I know when I, <laughs> I was like a kid, you know, I started, I started like leading seances and, mm-hmm. um, I remember being in like a bathroom at a community center and people were playing around with the Ouija board and it wasn't doing anything. And then I joined and my through what I felt moving through me, my friend had like a half hour long conversation with her grandfather that was like, I just knew the answers. And I I knew I was moving the board, but I knew the answers and like told her things that only he knew, you know, like I, I just, I remember when those moments started happening, leading people in a guided meditation at like a party with like the first time people were like drinking alcohol. And I was like, you know, had a football player on the floor with his head in my lap, like taking and riding a unicorn. Like, I remember that shit. I don't know why <laughs> that all made sense for me to do at the time. I was like, let's do this. Um, mm. uh, yeah, I don't know. It's funny looking back and being like, I guess. <laughs> I mean, for me, it was theater. It was play. It was being allowed to play in, in strange ways that I just 
new. You know, we recently interviewed um, Edgar Fabian Frias again for a second time. Such mm-hmm. a powerful, you know, indigenous futurist, which non-binary witch um and they were saying like they've what's given them peace recently has really been embracing just letting words come like just looking off to the side and letting their ancestors or the voice of the world just speak through them and i i noticed amy doing it earlier and i you can't see me because my screen's blacked out but i i do it more now too and i don't know when that started happening of just looking a little bit off to the side and just letting the truth come out, letting words come out. But I think that was pretty core to me of being, of my being as a witch. Mm. Mm. Now I'm like, wait, am I doing that too? I know I'm looking off to the side now. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I, I do want to add that, that, that is, is definitely part of it is that like being a, confidently weird yes I guess it's maybe (laughs) maybe the thing you know before I called myself witch I probably called myself confidently strange you know um and I think part of that is like my experience growing up was not like Reese's I'm from a blue collar town a blue collar family multi-generations who worked for the same factory you know um, but I was also kind of feral, mm. you know, like mm. non-criminally neglected. So I was like very much, very much left to my own devices. And when you're a kid, your devices are your imagination. Mm. Like way if you now, or maybe like whatever you can find in the basement or the backyard or the park. Like yeah. those are your only resources. So I will, I do want to say this though, because I honestly think about it like probably every day and I like say a prayer of gratitude. Um, and I wrote about this, it's in the next book. I talked about it in our Audrey Lord episode that when I was maybe like eight or nine years old, I was watching Geraldo for those kids who don't know. It was, it was like a, a talk show. Geraldo was a talk show host. And he would sort of have these like deliberately provocative guests on so that the audience could like make fun of them. And he did several episodes and it turned into a whole thing at the time with all like Joan Rivers. Anyway, I'm getting off track, but the point is Geraldo had this episode where he hosted a panel of New York club kids and they were all just like art incarnate, just Again, super provocative, super confrontational, not in their demeanor, but just in their appearance. You know, it was like very, very over the top. And I remember being like nine years old and just staring at these people who, again, were like set up as, you know, targets of mockery and shame and Mm. you don't fit into society. What's wrong with you? Are your parents ashamed of you kind of thing? And I was just agape. I was like, these people exist Mm. and I want to be like, these people Mm. and so I think about that Geraldo episode and give like a prayer of thanks to it every day because I honestly don't know for sure who I would be if I hadn't been in front of the tv that day and that's kind of like again the missing witches project is an extension of that feeling it's like real people who are or did exist being the person that you want to be and it being fine Mm. you know and it's fine 
You're mm-hmm. allowed to do that. These people exist. You're allowed to make magic. You're allowed to dress crazy. The laws of man are not the laws of physics. <laughs> <laughs> you know, this is something I say all the time. People say you can't do this and you can't do that. And like, yeah, maybe I can't jump off a bridge and fly because the laws of physics prevent me from that. But like, I can dress crazy. I can have an opinion that's different from the dominant voice. I can you know, just be my authentic self and you have to take heat for it. I know I'm getting a little like evangelist right now. I promise (laughs) I'll mute myself in a second, but like you will take heat for it. That's the thing that people don't want to necessarily accept is like that your choice is, you know, um, was it an amen wrote something like, you know, when, when the, the desire to, to bloom was more than the fear of the pain of blooming. And that you have a choice, you know, to me, the greater harm to myself would have been to pretend that I was somebody that I wasn't. I, you know, I was insulted and, you know, spit on and you got popcorn thrown at you or whatever and stuck in your hair in the hallway. Mm -hmm. And none of that was good. All of that was traumatic. But for me, in my confident weirdness of, you know, feral childhood and club kid <laughs> inspiration, the greater harm to me would have been to pretend that I was quote unquote normal. Mm-hmm. I was laughing earlier because I got the weird award in high school, you know, like the superlatives yes. that they hand out. Me you too. did? Me too. Yeah. yeah, at the prom. At the prom. Yeah. yeah. It was like, oh, yeah, most weird or most original or something, like, which is like obviously yeah. the backhanded superlative of the crew. Exactly. I was, I was hoping for biggest freak because I had really, you know, oh, we didn't have that word. <laughs> No, I mean, it didn't, the award of biggest freak didn't exist, but they made up something like you mm-hmm. say, you know, that was, that was like a kinder, gentler version of biggest freak in the school. <laughs> you know? like, but yeah, I wanted biggest freak. I was basically campaigning at, at my last year of high school. Like I, I changed high schools and I showed up as the freakiest freak that ever freaked. Mm. Yeah, and, but I was also very fucking smart so that Mm -hmm. really like the jocks didn't like me because I was a freak and the smart kids didn't like me because I was this new girl who was like you know the new hot hot, (laughs) you know voice in the English class like (laughs) high school is so such a fucking bizarre place yeah it is I like to shake things up I like to rock the boat and so fuck it hell yeah I've met other people who have also won the Weird Award, and it's there's an, another club for that somewhere out there. <laughs> I love it. I, I have a feeling some of our listeners um, may have also won the Weird Award, and I think it's so beautiful. I think Weird and Witch obviously have like this history together, mm-hmm. um, and so I love the idea of reclaiming Weird. I think that's a word we use all the time. Kate, strange or weird and always in a positive context because, I don't know, normality just gets mundane and boring and feels unauthentic at times, most of the time. Yeah, I want to be Grace Jones. I want to be Bjork. Mm -hmm. I don't want to be Britney Spears. (laughs) I want to be Grace fucking Jones. (laughs) What we say in the poetry brothel is more is more. (laughs) 
just, yeah, we we were just talking with um, Whitefeather Hunter, who's been on our podcast a bunch of times. She's uh, a fucking awesome witch, anyway. And she had just been at a, a conference, and part of what they were doing in, in a conference panel was was like coming together around a definition of the word weird. Mm. And I think what she shared with us was uh, weird is when you expect nothing and then something mm. is there. Mm. I like that. It's so wow. shivery. I know. <laughs> it's quite good. All of my armors. <laughs> <laughs> just expected the fucking banal nothingness. And then something was there. We were we were the weird the, that they called us the weird kids or whatever. The, the weird freaks. sisters, the the fake yeah. hand in hand. <laughs> yeah, we were the freaks for sure. I went to an all-girls school and we we insisted in sitting for lunch in this like tunnel <laughs> and, and folks would call us the freaks for sure i made best friends with with one of my my like all-time best girlfriends in grade seven when she came to school with a tea cozy on her head i was like yes <laughs> i love soul sisters <laughs> yeah sister. <laughs> so maybe moving to ostara because i think that that was one of our sort of celebrations for coming together today. Um, but in your in your book, you dedicate Ostara to Paula uh, de Aguiles. Is that how you say it? I I think Aguiles. Okay, I think beautiful. Man. It's hard when you read things and then to go say them out loud. Um, yeah. And Maria Sabina, and you describe Ostara in this beautiful way. I would love to read it to bring it into the room here, but. Um, Dark and light reach another point of balance on the spinning wheel. Light is increasing quickly and the darkness will recede. But for this moment, they breathe together. This is the ancient goddess holiday that gives us bunnies and baby chicks. This is the pagan story overwritten by the peace-loving anarchist hippie Jesus's execution, descent, and return. In honor of the beginning of spring, we can ritualize an opening for new ideas and new ways of thinking. On the spring equinox, day and night are equal, our shadows personal and collective. Look us in the eye, and they can heal and guide us. Which I just love. Um, and so I'm just wondering, like, how are you celebrating Ostara this year? Like, what's coming up for you both? Hmm. Thanks for reading that. It feels nice to hear those <laughs> words read out loud beautifully. Um, we're, we're calling together a circle for Astara this year. Um, we invite your audience and anyone to come. It's free. Uh, we've been doing these virtual circles for the eight Sabbats, bringing together different voices on a theme. It just feels nice to be together. It feels like... You know, we we can we have this technology that feels like very much from like science fiction that we can portal into a room together, you know, mm-hmm. from Portugal and Canada and New York and, and all around the world and like be it's not perfect, but at least I get to hear you and see you, you know. I can see you smile when I make a dumb joke. Like I <laughs> I hear you know, I hear you breathe, like that's something. Mm-hmm. Um so we're making a circle, we're calling it a circle for Astara. This time we're centering neurodivergent witches. So 
We're really interested in digging into what is the perspective from a neurodivergent mind on how the world can be anew. Like, what does it what does it mean to think in new ways? What does it mean? How do how can we call forth new new experiences of kinship? How can we call forth you know the reenchantment? How do we do that? And I think centering marginalized voices is is core. And centering disabled voices and centering neurodivergent voices in ways of thinking offers an opening. And, and so that's what that chapter is about. It's like this moment that the sun stays still is, is an opening, just, just like Samhain is an opening. You know, each of these moments on the turning of the wheel, they, they offer a moment for ritual and they offer a moment where we can plant the seed that believes in change. That's what magic is. You know, we believe that we can change the world Mm. and so that's what that's what this circle will be about there's some really fucking awesome people coming to speak um witches who have centered their neurodivergence so we'll share that we'll share the link with you guys but that I'm really excited about that for my own my own practice um I hope I hope there'll be a sunny day that isn't under like eight feet of snow it just Mm. snows more every day here right now Mm -hmm. um started running in the mountains around me like trail running a little bit in the snow and just like trying to pour my own like sweat and frustrations out to be a little more clear-headed I run the circle of this lake and run the circle of the mountain and I'm trying to just like just be strong in my body and then try to take that energy of circling the lake and write every day and try to really believe that like our energy and our bodies can pour into our words that can pour out into the world and be part of something. Cause I think, I think we can heal the world, even though it feels very dark right now. And Mm -hmm. I think a star is a moment for that, to have faith in that. Because yeah, like Risa said, you know, up, up here North of, of Montreal, uh, the first day of spring is not, irises and (laughs) you know it's 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 still six feet of snow that are waiting until maybe late april before they melt so it is a promise Mm -hmm. it is just like the day the the day is equal to the night which we haven't seen in a long time the nights have been very very long when we get to that point so uh, it very much is Ostara is like an opportunity for a new way of thinking regardless of whether the the snow is melted or not. This is our spring. We talk about that a lot because the book, um, the chapters are based on the eight Sabbaths of the wheel of the year. And, you know, some people live in the tropics and some people like us live in these like Northern climates. So our, our weather, I'm using air quotes here, isn't necessarily <laughs> going to be the same, but we can take these like uh, metaphorical notions about planting seeds, for example, mm-hmm. at Ostara. And I, I'm really excited about this panel that we've got coming up for Ostara because, you know, like patriarchal capitalism, it's like we want visionaries, we want people who think outside the box, we want new ideas. But then they exclude all of those like visionary new ways of thinking, thinking outside the boxes. Again, from, from the discourse, you're you're not you're we you don't think the same way we do so you're not allowed at the party 
But at the same time, we're looking within our very closed box of voices <laughs> for a new voice. It doesn't make sense. Yeah, yeah. It we want it cute. Make sense. Keep it cute. Keep it palatable. Keep it commercial. But like, give us something new. But just just <laughs> new enough that we can fucking sell it. You know, down the same. It's, it's just like marketing. Sylvia, yes. <laughs> Sylvia Federici. I I always bastardize this quote, but she's like, capitalism doesn't care if you check your astrology every morning because you're still going to look at your clock and make sure you're on time for work like you're still we can have these forms of occulted knowledge but just in this little little bit you know um sorry to jump in amy but i was just having a full body hell yes no yeah no jump jump (laughs) that's what we do jump jump around and in circles but yeah i mean you you just said what what i was going to say anyway that like this is this is something that we feel compelled to do marginalized voices of every kind. I've talked about this before, but my favorite contemporary art gallery right now is a a gallery and adjacent workspace called the creative growth art center. And it focuses on um, people who are neurodivergent, you know, um, uh, people who have uh, down syndrome, for example, or, you know, and their art is fucking spectacular because that's what art is. Art is like materializing new ways or different ways of thinking, different ways of seeing the world. And so you look at their art and it's scintillating. It's provocative. It's like, uh, like it's, you see it with your bowels when you look Mm -hmm. at these people because it's egoless Mm -hmm. and it's, it's fearless. This method of art making that's like, you know, these are the visionaries that we need to be looking for. People who really think differently. I mean, one of my best friends and also my husband are both dyslexic. And so for them growing up, they thought they were stupid. um, And they're both extremely intelligent people. And I'm always telling them, you know, they still have the vestigial tale of that shame sort of like uh, growing up in these formal educations that weren't suited to how their brains worked. And I'm like, it's like being left-handed, you know, like you're going to struggle with the can opener Mm -hmm. because it was designed for right-handed people because most people are right-handed. Like it's not you, it's the tools you've been given were not the right tools for you. So again, I think like being being a witch, um, Sarah Selman, who is on this panel coming up, describes herself as neuroqueer. Mm, I love which that. Is, yeah, my new favorite word in the mm. whole universe. Like just different ways of being and different ways of thinking and different ways of seeing the world. I say all the time, like witchcraft isn't a religion. It's a lens. Mm. It's a perspective through which you see the world. You know, it's not dogmatic. It's just a way of seeing so we're always looking for people who see things differently than our own experience Mm. I like that idea too of Astara because there's always so much talk of like new beginnings right it almost starts to sound cliche after a while new beginnings I'm going to start new projects I'm going to do all this stuff which is great Um, but new ways of thinking I really like that idea um just kind of questioning what we think we know and maybe going, okay, what have I learned this past year or this past cycle and taking that with you into spring, um, you know, as a seed or a seed spell. I really like that. Right. And there's a reason that this becomes Easter, right? Like there, there's a reason that that, that part 
of the Jesus mythology gets written onto this particular pagan myth cycle. Like this story of like murder by fascists and then being born again as a, as a making real, as an embodiment of magic and of a magic that is like anarchic that is peace loving that's flipping over tables that's holding the hands of sex workers you know like Mm -hmm. that's give me that that jesus is is on the witch ride like you know yes yeah i've told my 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 christian mother you know jesus was was behaved a lot more like i do than the people that go to your church like (laughs) you know like give us your outcasts Mm-hmm. give us your outcast like that's what jesus was doing he was like show me your outcasts and this is where we're going to find the kingdom of heaven yeah and so what are the parts of yourself that have been constrained or that have been like you know chained away in the corner or that have been imprisoned like what are the parts of yourself that that capitalism or or a modern discourse or or fascism, depending on where you live, like what are the parts of yourself that have been put in a corner by fear? And can we like mourn those and then find a way to ritualize their rebirth? Like, can mm. we find a way to make a ritual space? The ritual that we offer in the book for Astara is find a freedom fighter and put them on your altar, like cleanse your altar make a space, whether it's like a, on, a, on a bookshelf or a window ledge or whatever, give it love, give it flowers, give it anointment, spend the next time in your dreams and, and your waking life looking for objects around your house that sing out to you that should be part of your altar. But then also do that ancestor work to look for someone in your own family who stood for something or someone in your own genetic line or your own cultural history that resisted and put that figure on your altar and know that they're there for you. They're, they're in your ancestor. I don't know what a better word than army is choir. They're in your ancestor (laughs) choir. Trying to find words that are, that replace words from from violent discourse. Yes. They're in your ancestor (laughs) chorus. Put those, like put Greek those mythology. people on your altar. Yes, I, I love I that. The terrifying the Greek chorus with their mouths, <laughs> like chanting my destiny from behind. That's how I imagine it. <laughs> yeah, I was speaking to a friend actually about this yesterday because she was had just read a book. Um, I don't remember the name of it, but talking about how psychology kind of taking rise at the same time of like machines and so then the like impression of it is that psychology should work like machines and so then it's just working or broken and so then those are the spaces of ourselves um in quote-unquote psychology and so the sort of magic uh, witchcraft neuroqueerness gives us a whole new way to like dispel and break up that binary Yes. yes. If, you, if you are broken and you need to fix yourself, the only solution is that you got to buy this thing and you got to mm-hmm. buy that thing and then you got to buy that other thing. And then you got to keep grinding so that you can buy those things that you need to fix the part <laughs> of you that's broken. Yes, or or this- like, nah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we see this laid out like, so behavioral psychology like loses favor 
in talking about human psychology long before it stops being the primary tool for talking about animal psychology, animal cognition, right? We keep this behaviorist model for like decades after so that we can continue to treat our are more than human kin, like, like objects, like fodder, like the, the, that, that, that mechanization still, still persists there. Mm-hmm. And, and there's also the paradox in there. And when, when you're a witch, you get used to paradox and you sort of get comfortable in that space, but like wanting to, I'm using air quotes, your listeners, better yourself or better your world or better the future or better society. But at the same time, like deciding that you're perfect (laughs) so you know it's like well if I'm already perfect then I don't need to better anything Uh, but it's both it's you know we live in a non-binary universe you know it's it's always and and very rarely or so you are perfect and you can do and be better (laughs) I saw a funny uh thing yesterday that was like and my I am a I am a perpetual baby witch. Much love to baby witches and all of us. But it was like, um, you know, someone comes to you with a problem. Someone's bothering you, and a baby witch is like, gather herbs from the seven corners and light a candle of three <laughs> colors and encant this thing. And like, uh, you know, like a grown witch is like, you know, like maybe go to a crossroads and uh, sing this song, say this spell, and then experience which is like, you probably save time just to tell him to fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> the crone. <laughs> yeah. So many of the witches we've interviewed have been like, I love ritual, but like right now I'm just really being in my power to just tell the bad things to fuck off. Mm-hmm. I, I just spoke to uh, Christina Cleveland, who wrote the amazing book. I hope your listeners will buy our book, Missing Witches, Recovering True Histories. <laughs> but also, <laughs> while you're at the bookstore, pick up a copy of uh, God is a Black Woman by so good. Uh, Christina <laughs> Cleveland. So good. And in our conversation, she was telling me about the, the holy no, making making room for the spacious yes. So the holy no is like, I think, again, the times, you know, if you're not ground down, then please send us an email at missingwitches at gmail.com and explain to us how you're not feeling fucking ground down right now in this like March of 2022 when like, I mean, we don't even need to get into the specifics. Everybody who's listening knows what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. If you are not ground down to a place where all you can conjure is a holy no, then I would love to hear from you and what you're doing to uh, stay in the light and keep your target in Mm -hmm. sight, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. Well, taking it back to your guys' second book... Um, you know, you mentioned it a couple times. I saw on Instagram, you just submitted the manuscript and yeah, congratulations. (laughs) Um, and I'm just wondering, are you able to say anything about that yet? Any like hints or breadcrumbs, uh, for people who loved your first book? Uh, yes. It feels like it's in this funny, tenuous place, right? Because so much of the process of writing, for us, writing, writing is collaborative. So this first stage, we each wrote our chapters and then 
we're going to read each other's chapters and we're doing really like pretty deep collaborative writing this time. So that's a whole process. And then we love our editor at North Atlantic. Um, We're distributed by Penguin Random House, but we work with North Atlantic, which is a consensus-based, nonprofit, super fucking witchy, badass, anti-capitalist publisher. We love them so much. And our publisher there, our editor there is really part of the process for us. So it feels like the book will change a lot. So talking about it feels weird, but um but the core of the book is that we want to share true stories of magical practitioners, but centered around how they've used tools of magic to put the tools of magic into people's hands in a way that resists the commodification of magic. So this isn't like a list of tools that you need to go buy. It's like, fuck the idea that magic is something you have to buy or consume. Here are stories of people that used what you have also available to you and how they use that to resist and re-enchant the world. Mm. Can't wait I to love read that. We <laughs> do. I can't wait to read what it's going to be like. <laughs> because I think, you know, um, especially when you, when you first get into the craft and I, I know I, I succumb to this too. It, it, it's ever so, in, um, you know, hypnotizing, um, we're all brainwashed by capitalism, but um, to just start collecting the objet of the craft, um, the tools that the books told me I needed, like, you know, an athame and, uh, <laughs> you know, or, or crystals mm-hmm. or whatever it is that I needed to buy. And, you know, like Risa was saying, like the, the crone is like, ah, just tell them to fuck off. You know, like <laughs> now my magic is in like in the washing of dishes. Um, it is in the feeding of birds. Mm-hmm. Um, so when we talk about the tools of witchcraft, we're we're not talking about cauldrons. We're talking about like, for example, um, one of the chapters Risa wrote is about geometry. Mm-hmm. And how geometry is a tool of witchcraft. And then one of the chapters I wrote is is music how music is a tool of witchcraft. Like, um, you know, was it uh, Abby Hoffman, whose book was called Steal This Book? It's like tempting to, (laughs) you know, we say all the time, much to the distress, I'm sure, of our publishers, like, ask your local library, (laughs) like, buy a copy of our book and then share it with 10 of your friends. You know, it's, it's, it's hard to um, be anti-capitalist and still eat food. Um, of course. <laughs> in, in yeah. the way this world has been set up but like we just really want to encourage witches to keep in mind that Sylvia Federici like capitalism is very happy for you to be a witch as long as that means like buying your fast fashion with pentagrams you know on it or you know bu- buying your crystals that have been mined by you know, child slavery. Capitalism is very happy for you to be a witch in that way. So Mm -hmm. what ways might we actually be able to resist capitalism? Um, What are those tools? And so, of course, like Risa says, these are tools that that cannot be bought fundamentally. Even, Even when you buy our book, it's a lump of paper. It is a lump of paper until you read it. And then it comes alive. And the same is true with witchcraft. You can, and I do, don't get me wrong, have shelves and shelves <laughs> heavied and loaded with all kinds of 
the weird collected jars of, I mean, you know. You can see my arms. I know, I know you feel very attacked, Katie. The left. (laughs) Shelves heavy with clay. And we all have them, you know, all of us witches are compelled Mm -hmm. to collect weird things in jars and that's great. (laughs) Um, But you bring the magic to those things. You, you are that. And so this is this next work. I mean, because the thing is, again, like, our first first book was centered around the wheel of the year and it is immutable and we have no control over it. And, you know, we, we have no say in its process whatsoever. And, you know, times are changing and Risa and I are just desperately looking for that, which we can control. What is, what is actually within our power? So that, that sort of was part of the impetus for this next book. Like, the wheel of the year is immutable, but our actions are are not. Yeah, and I will just add, like, the aesthetic, the witch aesthetic is a portal, you know, like that that it's part of how mm-hmm. we portal to each other. So we're not yes. we're not saying yes. fuck that, yes. you know, like that that's no, no, beautiful no, 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 no. and so fun. And and like and <laughs> and fashion as self-expression, like aesthetic is magic, 100%. you know, aesthetic is yeah. magic, embodiment mm-hmm. is magic. So you know, play with those things and, you know, like, um, house, Witch and others have said, like, you know, they're really invested in playing with those things in a way that supports, you know, indie makers, people who are making with their hands, sustainable craft, indigenous makers, like, how are you putting your money towards the resistance too? If you're going to buy shit, then like, let's buy cool shit. Um, <laughs> I, so yeah, mm-hmm. you know, and ask questions. And ask questions. Said shit. Yeah, <laughs> supportive of all of that, you know. But yeah, for this mm-hmm. book, we were just interested in could we could we go back through the stories that we had researched and the women and marginalized people whose magic we we were interested in and see if there were there were guides there for how to use things in a way that that were that was powerful. Mm. And of course, there were many. Yeah. <laughs> Not surprised. Spoiler at all. alert, there were many. <laughs> so, shall I give my ending speech? <laughs> Do you have one prepared? We would love to I mean, hear not it. Not really. I can, I, can look off, I can look off to the side and find one <laughs> in my ceiling. But uh, I really, I just, you know, Risa and I just want to encourage your listeners who obviously are already doing so to continue to go looking for witches, go looking for validating voices in history and in your community um, who, who want to expand other ways of knowing. Mm-hmm. Just go out looking for other ways of knowing and, 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 watch out for that capitalist brainwashing in you that wants you to reject other ways of knowing because they're not your way. And of course, um, we would ask everyone to visit us online and in our multimedia atmosphere of Instagram, you can find us on Patreon at Missing Witches, Instagram at Missing Witches. You can buy our book. What? Missing Witches, <laughs> also called Missing Witches. And uh, we look forward to having you two on the Missing Witches podcast I very soon, wait. where we can continue this conversation. Flip the flip the mic. Amazing. I, I I will if you'll allow me. There's a little piece from the A Star chapter 
that I carried. Yeah, we'd love to hear it. Because I've been thinking about this piece a lot. Um, and I, I want to offer it to your listeners in what feels like a really heavy traumatized time. Um, mm-hmm. So it goes, noticing the container that is binary is a step towards seeing the infinite around it. On Aostar, let's listen instead to our dreams. Let's fill our altars with people, stories, and symbols that resist simplification. Let's listen for the things that sing with this in-between tension of both life and death, maiden and crone, darkness and light, victim and perpetrator, man and woman, and whisper of a wholeness beyond the divides. Maria Sabina saw it all coming. The mushrooms, which she referred to as the holy children, showed her the white men and then the waves that would follow if she shared her power. She saw the holy children's power would diminish from this dilution, but they showed her she must do it anyway, because maybe there are reasons beyond reasons, roots of the roots. Maybe she saw an even further future. She saw her son's murder coming before it came, and she had to live and relive it. She saw the future coming for her, and she waited to be hit by the wave. The strength required to endure this unbearable mix of power and powerlessness is the message from healer to healer and woman to woman throughout centuries of surviving patriarchy. Trauma cannot give you strength and you don't know it gratitude, but it can reveal the strength you always possessed. Trauma cannot give you strength and you don't know it gratitude, but it can reveal the strength you have always possessed. Mm-hmm. Thank you. With love to all your listeners, guys. Take care of each other. Well, I think that's all the time we have for today. I think we ended on a beautiful note. So thank you, Amy. Thank you, Risa, and also Kate, all of our listeners, for joining us today on Magic and Alchemy, a podcast from Tamed Wild. Again, we're Kristen Lizenby and Kate Ballou. You can find us online at Easton Alchemy and at K8 Ballou. Send us all of your questions, comments, or just say hello via email at podcast at tamedwild.com. You can view all the amazing offerings from Tamed Wild on their Instagram at Tamed Wild or on the blog magicandalchemy.com. Tune in to next week's episode where we talk about the Fae. Just a reminder that magic and alchemy are always available to those who know where to look for it. So mote it be or something better. Until next time. Mm